Hey, what's happening? It's Mark Kinsley. And it's Mark Quinn. And guess what's coming up, Kinsley? Oh, man, I can feel it in the air. Like, I'm ready. So, New Orleans, Louisiana, August 17th through the 20th, this year, 2019. And uh, it's their big primetime live event. It's happening in New Orleans this year. Now, I've spoken at Mattress University in the past. This year, I could not be more excited because it's not going to be Uno Marco. It's going to be... Dos Marcos. Dos Marcos. And we are in the third slot. So Mattress University has three different sessions and we're going to be in the third one. And we're going to be talking about stuff for brick and mortar retailers that um, will definitely make them more profitable. Uh, it will give them many, many more things to talk about, to drive people into their stores. And uh, it's stuff that they cannot possibly discover on their own. It's going to be exclusive for anyone attending the event. I feel really excited because it's almost like this partnership we have with Nationwide is, is now we're going to take the online offline. We're going to be there in person to talk to you, like not only come to the sessions and spend some time with us uh, through what's going to be, I mean, you know us, we're going to bring the thunder we're gonna try we're gonna bring thunder. absolutely but afterward we're gonna be up there to talk with people we're gonna be do some special podcasting and special sessions it is gonna be so much fun and i tell you right now is the time to get your ticket because flights are gonna be cheaper hotel rooms are gonna be available closer proximity to the to the event so you can actually go to the website right now it's nationwideprimetime.com nationwideprimetime.com to find out more about what's going on to get registered get connected invest in yourself so check it out can't wait to meet you guys and here's here's there is a problem in this whole thing there's only 80 days 17 hours 12 minutes and 15 seconds until the event TikTok, TikTok. we look forward to seeing you guys there Dos Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together, they are Dos Marcos. Brushes with greatness. So you've had a brush with greatness, right? I mean, I spend every podcast with you, so <laughs> naturally. Okay. Thank you, by the way, for that. But no, other than that one, right? So a really cool, so you were on a plane with someone. Yeah, so I mean, I've been on the plane and uh, you know, this lady got off the plane at the end of the ride and the, the flight attendants walked up and they all said, hey, we really enjoy your work. And I thought when I stepped off the plane, they're going to say <laughs> they were. were they, we say, really, they weren't saying it to you, though. Yeah, they didn't. Give, they didn't say that we really enjoyed <laughs> your work as well. And uh, but anyway, it turned out it was Portia de Rossi. She's a famous actress. She's married to Ellen DeGeneres. And and so anyway, you know, I was like, okay, my work is yeah, that's cool is, yeah. is lacking. But well, I was sitting next to a lady in on a plane. We were in first class, and people kept coming up and asking for her autograph. And I'm like, who the hell am I sitting by? Kind of thing. It was Coretta Scott King. Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, you cool. and I to get, we've had dinner with Jim McMahon, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Like he goes to Chicago to this day. That's and true. The Bears is coming out of everybody. That's mouth. true. And if he could actually remember stuff, he could remember us, and we'd be like good buddies. But well, hey, you know, I I will say I had a like a almost a damaging experience there because we were talking to his girlfriend. And she was like, "Yeah, he hates tan lines." Remember, you're asking about his golf shoes, and he's like, <laughs> "I don't, true. I don't, I don't want to wear the sandals. I don't wear shoes because, you know, 
15 years of fat guys stepping on your feet as a quarterback, my feet are all messed up. That's right. And, and she goes, he really won't wear those sandals because he, he hates tan lines. She takes out her phone and shows me a picture of, of McMahon in a Speedo. And I'm like, I, I, this is not... What? At so a family... Show it to Quinn. He wants to no, see No, I do not want to see it. In a, in a family resort, by the way. Yeah. And I think they had a little vote at the pool, and they go, you know what? This guy needs to not wear his thong here anymore. <laughs> anyway, but we have someone way better than any of that. And uh, maybe you should take a minute. He's on the phone right now. Yeah. And, uh, and let's introduce Chris, and then we'll, we'll get into it, man. But we are uh, pretty fired up so for today. So Chris Cassidy, he is an astronaut. He is a former Navy SEAL, and he's the 500th person in history to fly into space. He was uh, named NASA's 14th chief astronaut. He's completed six spacewalks. Uh, former Navy SEAL, been deployed to the Mediterranean and twice, twice and to Afghanistan twice. He was a SEAL for 10 years. Recipient of two bronze stars. And one of the, my favorite things about Chris is he is Jeff Cassidy's brother. No, no doubt. Jeff Cassidy is, if you know him, uh, he's with GoodBed.com. He and Mike Magnuson. And Jeff is a very good friend of ours. So, all right, Chris, we're going to start it out from the beginning because I know you love your brother. I got to hang out with you and Jeff at a Rockets game. Thanks again, by the way, for hooking yeah, us up with good, those tickets. Good times. Those were such season, good times. Too bad the season didn't end better for the Rockets. I but. know. And Nene is a good buddy of yours. We're going to talk about spread positivity here in a little bit. But Nene, one of the players for the Rockets, such a good guy, man. And so fun to get to talk to him. But anyway, at there... So we, we were there and I got to see you and your brother hanging out and, and just interacting and what a good relationship you two guys have. But since I'm sure he gets asked all the time, hey, what's it like to be, you know, the brother of Chris and uh, an astronaut? What's it like to be Jeff's brother? Because, you know, he's a celebrity in this industry and and, and you grew up with us with him. So what was all that like growing up together? Oh, well, I'll get to the growing up part in a second. But now. He works so much that I think he thinks that everybody is glued to their phone and their computer. And if you if you don't reply in, in uh, momentarily, that I feel like a, a horrible a horrible brother and not not get, not getting back to him instantly. But what a good guy! I'm so fortunate to have him as a brother. We get along great. We we uh, uh, we're exactly three years apart, same birthdays, and I'm three years older. We always had a ball with us of some kind. Didn't matter if it was a tennis ball, football, basketball, soccer ball, or a golf ball. Some kind of ball was always being thrown around and making up games where wherever we were um, to pass the time by. There, it was it was pretty fun. And to this day, we have a series of football plays that um, that he and I know we can execute them on any field just by calling out references to our parents' front yard. And uh, we could razzle-dazzle even uh, Jim McMahon, I think. Wow. So you guys would be hell on two-on-two football, like you would crush everybody. Two-on-two football. In fact, one time when we were younger, we went to the beach, and there was these guys playing, and we just walked up and said, hey, who's got next? And, And we schooled them. They picked the wrong two guys to play football with. They picked oh, the wrong two. Well, call, call out a couple of plays for us. Yeah, oh, there you go. Uh, stick third bush, uh, stumpsy straight, uh, stump Brisbane chimney. There's a handful of a handful of others. Oh, the the most complicated play is called Jeff play because he created it, but. <laughs> So, you know, the cool thing about Jeff, and, and I know that Kinsley agrees with this because we've talked about it before, 
but he just seems to be like one of the most generous people. Like he, it seems like he's just so focused on others. I know he's done a lot of work with you and he, he told me some really exciting stuff. I know that I'm not supposed to talk about, so I won't, but you got some really cool projects coming up too, but he just seems like such a generous guy in terms of how he approaches life. Do you, is that a pretty accurate assessment? That's so accurate and so genuine too. Like he really, it's not just like lip service. Cause he think, you know, some people, cause they, they think that that's what people want to hear. It's really who he is. He really means that he really cares about others. He really has compassion and empathy for everyone in his life. Um, and it's just really a pleasure to, to watch. Um, and it's been, I would say too, that I've seen it. I've seen him, get more so that way as we've gotten older and different life experiences for for him and work and personal and whatever and it just kind of made him appreciate every moment appreciate small things appreciate big things and uh and um yeah just a great person i'm so fortunate to have him as a brother chris just told me some of the adventures that you guys have had and some of those really meaningful moments and shared experiences all over in different parts of the world what are some of those adventures or some of those moments you guys have created together that stand out to you that you remember the most? Um, well, the first one we ever did was was nothing too exotic. We we um, he helped arrange a few NASA um, public appearance type things in the Boston area and New York uh, as well, and and we just hung out for three or four days as as we went from place to place and took this really um, crappy cheap bus from Boston to New York, which costs like $12 a person. And that's what you got $12 worth of value out of the bus. And that there's, you know, just little stories like, like that. Um, but then we realized in doing that one, we thought, you know, this is pretty cool. This affords us to have time together, but also to be impactful in, in ways. So let's think of a, a place where we can go. And he had a, uh, network of friends in, in Brazil. And so a couple of years later, we arranged for a similar type thing, except this time in Brazil, Sao Paulo and Rio. And, um, and that led to getting into a favela in Rio, which is like the, the poorest of poor neighborhoods with, I don't even know how many people, but tens and tens of thousands of people crammed into this really, really tiny hillside village where you, you're looking at these houses going, or not even houses, but like structures thinking how are they staying up how are they not all crashing into each other and walking around in this favela with with uh, some brazil our brazilian hosts and and um seeing how fortunate we are to be you know we just live our normal life in america and and hop on the plane and fly to brazil and 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 these people hardly even can get out of the favela and that was just a small thing that i could go on for 20 more minutes about what led to that and met uh, cool people and helped out a, uh, a girl who wrote an essay contest about why I would like to be an astronaut. And we surprised the trip to her to bring her back to the Houston, uh, Johnson Space Center here and give her a tour. But yeah, just a, a really, really cool series of events. It's really neat to hear Jeff t- you know, tell some of the stories about how you guys have just use the platforms that, that you both have to, to literally spread positivity, which is um, you know, kind of the backbone of so, so many of these things that you guys have done together. And as, as an astronaut, I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of requests and you have a lot of demands on your time. 
Uh, but you know, and if people are interested. You know, what what is it like? What's day to day to day like um, as an astronaut? And and what what are some of the things that people may not know about? You know, or or is it very structured and it's kind of like going to school? To, like paint that picture for us. Yeah. So it's interesting because I've been an astronaut for fifteen uh, years and I've been in in space twice. So it's not simple math tells you it's not every single day that we're living our lives as astronauts that we're in space. It's a big deal on launch day. It's a big deal training for a particular mission and living that mission. Um, And so your life as an astronaut is these series of, um, it kind kind of goes in cycles where initially the first two years you're called an astronaut candidate and everything at NASA has an acronym. So you're called an ASCAN uh, for the first years, which is essentially you're a student in how to be an effective crew member. That lasts a couple of years, and then you kind of get in line to be assigned to a mission, and it's the chief astronaut who makes the decision on who's going to fly when and on which particular spacecraft. Uh, and so I, I became an astronaut in 2004. 2006, I finished all the initial training, and three years later, in the summer of 2009 is when I launched on my first mission, which was a space shuttle. And, uh, and we trained as a crew together for about a year and a half prior to that, to that launch. Uh, and then I came back from that mission and had a couple years where I was not training for a particular mission and, uh, and I was in between. So really in that time we are kind of, normal workers at the Johnson Space Center. We work in mission control. We provide input to new uh, systems or new cockpits or new spacesuits, and and we give uh, kind of user-level feedback, kind of like design. If you design a new bed, you need people who are expert sleepers, to, <laughs> which I think is all of humanity, uh, <laughs> to, to to uh, to give you input, and that's what that's what we do in those in- interim years between missions and training for the next one. And uh, now, when you're we uh, we fly to the International Space Station, which by its name tells you that there's many countries involved, and therefore we train in different countries, which that alone has elongated the training process. So it's about two and a half years of prep time for. Uh, a six-month stay on the space station, and I did that um, in 2013. I was up there for six months uh, on the space station. Came home from that mission, and uh, uh, and then I've been kind of in a management role for a while, and then the last year and a half or so, I've been preparing for another mission. I can talk more about that so later, but the, in the in the interim, we are just workers here, you know, kind of nine to five, I, uh, a lot of travel for public appearances and going to schools and communities uh, and that sort of thing. If, if, but if you're training for a mission, we kind of put that public stuff aside and we focus on the training and therefore and our travel is related to the preparation for the missions. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but I rambled a lot. No, 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 you did. Absolutely. Um, You mentioned your first mission was on the space shuttle. Take us to that moment, or even as you you were maybe going up for the the trip and the tour on the space station, but you got to tell us, man, and I know you're probably so busy, like with checklists and doing stuff, but 
Is there a moment when you've got a rocket strapped to your back and you're literally taking off with all that thrust? I mean, are is it like what's going through your head and were you scared? Were you just excited? Was it like everything rolled into one thing? What was that moment like though? Yeah, it's it's so super cool cuz you're you're training as a crew and you have this date on the calendar which says launch and and uh, the months leading up to it, they kind of don't seem real. And then all of a sudden you start mailing out your launch guest list, uh, the invitations. And then people, other people are now engaged in the mission. And I found this is when it starts to become real. When other people are now intrigued and go, okay, we bought our plane tickets to go to Florida. Now you're inside a couple weeks and your whole life and your family's life is all about the excitement for going in that case, it was going to Florida, um, and and your family's ex- excited because the kids get to fly on a, on a NASA plane and go right into the Kennedy Space Center and get to stay in a, a hotel which where just the crew families stay. And so it's this exciting thing for the whole family, extended family included. And you get there, and we're in quarantine. Uh, the shuttle, we were in quarantine for a week, and we did a couple days of quarantine here in Houston, which means we said goodbye to our families at home and stayed in a, in a dormitory-like building here in Houston. And then we fly down to Florida for the final four days, and, um, and now it's launch day. And you wake up, and launch day, the launch is always about 4 o'clock in your crew duty day. It doesn't necessarily mean it's four o'clock in the afternoon, but we adjust our sleep schedule so that, um, you know, you, it, you'd have the number of hours pass by like breakfast, lunch, and a couple hours later you launch. And then shortly after getting to space, you, you go to bed. Uh, there's some technical reasons for get living your day like that for the shuttle. But, um, nonetheless, it's launch day. You wake up and you're excited and you're you're so motivated for it. Now, for me, it was summertime in Florida, which means there's rainstorms and thunderstorms all over the place. And we, I kind of knew this intellectually, but it's not until our crew had six launch attempts scrubbed for weather. Uh, one one of those was a technical reason with a leaking valve, but the other times it was weather, I think. And uh, so... On six different occasions, I woke up thinking, today's the day I'm going to space. I, when I'm out there talking to school kids, imagine I tell, imagine your mom and dad tell you, tomorrow's Christmas. And you wake up, and tomorrow, they're like, oh, no, 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 it's going to be next Tuesday. And then you go to next Tuesday, ah, it's Christmas. No, 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 it's, it's going to be in three days. I did, we did that six times. So on the actual launch day for me on my first mission, I didn't really believe it. There were gray, gray clouds out there in the horizon. It just was not something that I thought was even going to happen. You get, you drive in this this van from crew quarters after putting your suit on, and it's about a thirty minute drive out to the launch pad. You're, we're looking, we're seeing gray clouds all over the place. You get in the elevator, you climb all the way up to the top of the of the launch tower. One by one, you hop into the vehicle and get strapped in. And you do this this process about two and a half hours before liftoff. And as we're in there, you could kind of see out the windows where the gray, gray clouds were, were going away, but they were still present. And finally, at the nine-minute hold is the final go for weather. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to undo this whole process. And then Houston, go. Weather, go. And I thought, holy cow. We're going. This is it. This is real. But then 
you get so focused on on your checklist, just as you said, Mark. And, and at right at that moment, it's all about the checklist and making sure you don't screw up. Especially as a first time flyer, I didn't want to be the one to flip the wrong switch. And then three, two, one, the rocket lights, and off you go. I remember high fiving the the person crewmate next to me. But it wasn't until after the rockets cut off did I realize what just happened and the that I really was in space and my helmet truly was floating right in front of my right in front of me and my checklist was floating on its tether um, and then oh I have a job to do and I got to get right into my job and, and off you go but it this ex- feeling of excitement at the at the go for launch at nine minutes was where I really remembered it and then the- how long is that first burn Chris the first what the first burn like you said after you like after you launch yeah it's nine nine roughly nine minutes you're under the the propulsion of the of the rockets the in the shuttle the first two minutes of that were the bulk of the thrust came from the white solid rocket motors and then those you get used up and fall away and then the last uh six and a half six forty five is just with the solid rocket motors and then the engine cut off and it's all quiet and still and you're there it almost seems like when i've heard jeff talk about what you do and i hear you describe this it seems like being an astronaut is so many different uh jobs rolled into one like if you could you describe it like that i mean what jobs do you have to be good at because i heard him say you know, to be a spacewalker, you have to be a really good scuba diver and there's pilot. And what, what are all those jobs rolled into one? Yeah, there's you can think about about different phases of the mission. One, you have to be a good student because many much of our lives we're in a classroom or in a lab or in the simulator learning and being instructed by instructors or other astronauts with more experience than us. Um, so just being able to soak in knowledge and then uh use that knowledge in a very hands-on way, not an academic way, but a hands-on way is an important part of it. And then you have the launch aspect. And the launch aspect of it is more of the piloting skills, checklist use, um, and but also the what I would say is the, someone with the ability to sort of what's mm, think three-dimensionally, think of all the problems, because the, particularly in training when they break everything, you have to uh, respond to all the failures in a methodical way. And sometimes the checklist doesn't quite get you there. You have to put a little thought into it. Hey, what's the alligator closest to our boat kind of thing and, and, and work, work from this way. But once you get to space, the jobs are more like you said. You have spacewalker, and, and to be a spacewalker, you're, you're essentially a one-man scuba diver in your own submarine. Uh, working in a harsh environment and you, and you have to be able to put aside your fears because it is dark and scary out there on a spacewalk. We can talk about that more uh, separately, but put aside your fears, be very mechanical, hands-on, turning wrenches, pulling together cables, and uh, essentially a plumber, electrician, and a mechanic all outside in a spacesuit. But other than that, you're that's all you need, right? Other than that, that's all you need. Exactly. That's so funny. As part- or you can be a ro- more inside. If you're inside and you're using a robotic arm, you have to be able to picture a 3D environment just on a couple TV computer screens and video images as you move the robotic manipulator around. So there's many, like you said, there's many aspects to the job. You know what he missed there, Kinsley? 
What's that? Mattress industry experience. Yeah. You need none Podcaster. of that, apparently. Or podcasting experience. You don't need that to be an astronaut, no. so forget it. We were. I think we were all set up until that point. <laughs> like we could have just jumped right in, like been like you know right chair to to Chris. Hey Chris, I want to take you back because when you when you talk about this and you, and you've got a lot of time in space, you got 181 days right in in space and and your your time on the uh, space station. But I want to go back even to the seals. I want to talk about mental game because and then we can jump back into and we even talked about fear a little bit there the mental game yeah the fear and the mental game and the first part is literally as a seal i want to know was there a moment where you just said you know i don't know about this i don't know if i'm cut out for it i don't know if i'm gonna make it let's just ring the bell and get it over with um was there a moment that you kind of got to that and then something and if so that how did you overcome it and then secondly how important is that strong mental game when you consider, you know, how strong you must have to be in space? Because you're up there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they, they talk to you about that freak out moment where people are like, oh, my God, I'm in space. I can't get anywhere. I'm like claustrophobic all of a sudden. Anything you could share with us on mental game would be great. Yeah, that's a that's a timely question for me, because just on uh, on Friday, a couple days ago, um, I had two really good buddies from the SEAL teams who I hadn't seen in a decade come over. Uh, we had dinner and I gave them a tour of the space center and, uh, and we of course reverted back to telling stories and, and laughing. And, uh, and both of them had been buds instructors, instructors at the, the school for, to become a SEAL. I had never been an instructor. So one time in one of the storytelling sessions, uh, this, I asked them, said, did you know, could you look in a student's eyes and could tell if they were going to be a good student or not? And what made somebody a good student, whether they or not they became a good SEAL or not? That's not my question, is what, what would be a good student? And they both answered the same, and that was somebody that could uh, keep their same personality, perspective, and sense of humor through all of the chaos and all of the pain. And, uh, and that... And that served me well because uh, I felt like I was able able to do that. There was one particular night in Hell Week. Hell Week is this time where it starts on Sunday and ends on Friday, and you're just going the whole the whole week. If your if your group we call them boat crews uh, is a winning boat crew, you can get a, catch a couple winks of sleep until the next event starts. Uh, but if your boat crew is lagging behind. You'll just go right from one event to another throughout the whole week. And I remember it was like Tuesday night. The sun was setting. I'm eating a cold MRE full of sand sitting on the beach. And uh, I started to feel a little sorry for myself. I don't ever remember thinking, oh, this is horrible. I don't I don't. This is not for me. But I had this zone of fog come over my brain and I, I must have had a thousand yard stare and uh, I was feeling the cold and my teeth are chattering and I was thinking about the cold. And, and my buddy right next to me kind of hit me on the shoulder and said, hey, snap out of it. And that's that's all it took uh, for me. And, and uh, I was right back in it, eating my the most glorious meal I ever had and, and thinking about uh, just making it to the next event and wasn't uh, feeling sorry for myself any longer. So. For me, the biggest things were getting through it with your teammates because we all were suffering. We all were cold. We all were eating a sandy meal. Um, but him, him 
realizing that in me and other times when I could see it in my my teammates, it was going through it collectively. And then also just kind of taking the Hell Week bite for bite by that. Uh, I mean, it's a week long. If you think about Sunday to Friday, you just throw in the towel right away. But if you think about going from here to breakfast and then uh, even breaking it down even less than a meal like okay in the next 15 minutes they're gonna have to move away from these logs and we're gonna have to do something else or uh, but generally i was going from meal to meal knowing that they had to feed us and so the pain would would stop by the next time i had to eat those are the big things i learned in training well and, and training is is obviously to set you up for the real life scenario so take take a sense to you have you ever been in a situation you've been deployed four times you've been to space for 181 days you've done six spacewalks i know there are a couple times where at least one of them was unplanned have you ever been in a situation where you you genuinely feared for your life tell us that story tell us how you reacted and what you know kind of what was going through your head um i i must be weird because i i have never in any of those experiences thought about my life um i maybe after the fact, kind of like I, the story I told about launch or after the launch happened, I thought about, wow, we just launched. And after a particular mission in the seal seals, I remember thinking, holy crap, we all made it back. We're all alive. Everybody's here back at base and it's all good. And then one, there was spacewalk I did with Luca when we, we, he had a leaking spacesuit into his helmet. Water was, was filling up. And, uh, after that was over, I remember thinking, wow, that just happened. But particularly, in the, to answer your question more directly, uh, one mission shortly after September 11th, our platoon was in on the Afghan-Pakistan border. We went in thinking it was for one night. We had food and water for that one night, maybe a little bit more. And, uh, and we got to the place where the helicopter was going to pick us up, and we got a radio call said, nope, you guys are staying. We need you to stay there. And we ended up staying there nine days we, they couldn't get resupplies with food and water into us for the first couple days. So we were really hungry, resorting to uh, killing some chickens that we found to just get some calories in us and uh, eating or drinking. Nasty. Hey, hey, Chris, what did you say you were resorting to what I couldn't hear you? Uh, we, we, we found some chickens and, and, and uh, cooked up some chicken that we just found locally just to get some calories and and we were drinking water that was really pretty nasty and we all paid for it a day or two later but we needed water and food and so i remember thinking at that moment like wow we're really hanging out here we're in the center of bad guy land we're limited highly limited on food and water but we got each other we're out here doing this mission and eventually they'll get us food or water and and they did uh, but that particular time was the most, uh, particularly as as a as a leader within the SEAL platoon, I remember I was very concerned for the health of our guys as we're drinking nasty water and pooping and trying to eat a chicken for for twenty people. That's a little bit tougher than an average day in the mattress industry. <laughs> I don't know lately. <laughs> So speaking of the mattress industry, take us to sleep. So you're on a space shuttle. I, I found this really interesting. So I'm sure that there's um, people wondering, like you're, you're you're at zero gravity, right? And so talk t- talk to us a little bit about sleep. 
are you sleeping longer than you normally would up there? And um, if so, how do you how do you make yourself comfortable? Talk about zero gravity. We talk about the inadjustable bed bases and all that, but you're legitimately in zero gravity. So any any uh, any thoughts or things you can share about sleep uh, when you're up there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing that came to my mind when I had to when I went to bed the very first night or two is do you lack the like when you go to bed at home the act of kind of getting put putting on whatever your underwear or t-shirt or naked however you sleep just kind of getting dressed for bed brushing your teeth and then lying down and putting the feeling the pressure on your head and just relaxing into the mattress all of those are sensations and clues to your brain that it's time to relax and that's what I noticed first and foremost is you don't have those clues. Uh, you still brush your teeth and you still maybe change from your pants that you're wearing to some comfortable shorts or whatever. Um, but you just float into your sleeping bag and you don't have that ah relaxing kind of moment when, when you melt into your mattress um, and there's no pressure on your head. You just get in your bag and close your eyes and it took me a long time to unwind those first couple nights because my brain wasn't used to transitioning so abruptly from active mode to relaxation mode. Uh, but once you get used to it, it you sleep really well. We all, the they always um, bookmark on the calendar eight hours for sleeping, so we don't mess around. We don't shortchange sleep because if you do, you make mistakes and get tired, and chronic fatigue leads to more mistakes. Uh, and the other interesting thing about sleep in space is, is your relaxed state has your hands kind of just floating out in front of you parallel to what would be the floor, I guess, just to give you a visual. And your knees slightly bent up towards your, uh, your waist. And, and I remember the very first night on my space shuttle mission, I had my sleeping bag kind of tied off into the corner. And I woke up and I had to pee. It's like three in the morning on the space shuttle. And keep in mind, we had just launched like 11 hours earlier. And I'm floating through this sea of arms and legs dangling from the walls and the ceiling. And it's kind of dark with just a, a little nightlight off in the corner of the space shuttle. And I had I just took a second and go, holy cow, I'm really here. This is me. I'm in space. I'm floating to the toilet. Uh, my crewmates' legs and arms are, are dangling around, and and, and uh, I'm just going to try to quietly use the toilet. This is this is crazy. Gosh. So is anyone sleeping naked up there on this space lab? Well, on the space station, every, <laughs> on the space station, it was one big room. Space so, station. Yeah, it, it so was, then, no. I mean, excuse me. The space shuttle Shut was up. one big room. Uh, you couldn't sleep naked. But the space station, you each person has their own a small crew quarters about the size of a refrigerator household refrigerator. Uh, so you could easily get in there, close the door and get as naked as you want to be and sleep space naked, space naked. <laughs> yeah. That, that one would be as you're traveling to the bathroom at night, that would be a little more terrifying than the picture <laughs> you painted earlier. <laughs> you know what poor chris has been on many podcasts i'm i'm guessing here that this is the first time you've ever had that discussion am i right uh yeah floating naked through the space shuttle is the first time See? yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went you win we win 
best yeah. ever. Hey, take us, you know, Chris, uh, when I was talking to Jeff at one point in the past, he was telling us that you're widely known as one of the best space walkers. And, and earlier you mentioned being out in the middle of the cold, dark void and being, it's a very scary thing. First of all, like, tell us what it means to be a spacewalker and then take us into, the, in, into what that's like. Yeah, so um, to go outside and work in space, in the vacuum of space, you need obviously to have a spacesuit on to keep you alive. So we have a spacesuit, it's called the EMU, Extravehicular Mobility Unit, Unit, but basically it's the white puffy spacesuit that you see pictures of people doing spacewalks in. There's not a room that has 40 spacesuits, each with our own name stenciled into them. They, they're, they're modular, and they have the foot, the shin, the knee, the midsection. Each of those come in different pieces and parts, and they all have different sizes. So to make my spacesuit, there's a matrix that tells me I need a large foot, a medium shin, a medium-sized midsection, uh, and the same thing for gloves and arms and the upper, upper torso. Uh, so you want to get it as t- – the point of me telling you that is you want – a spacesuit that fits as snugly as you can so you can work in it well, but not so snug that it's uncomfortable and hard to breathe. And that's what the challenge is. If uh, you're, you're in this big bulky suit with these big bulky ski gloves and, and you have to use tools and in sometimes really small uh, interfaces with nuts and bolts and things like this. So the more of a mechanically inclined person that you are, the more likely you are that you'll succeed as a spacewalker. But also, the longer your arms are, the more you fill out the suit and the more your range of motion of where you can grab, that all helps as well. So uh, uh, short arms, kind of petite shoulders is, uh, is just harder to manipulate the spacesuit in your favor. The broader your shoulders and the longer your arms, uh, you fill up the spacesuit and you kind of you have an easier time controlling its momentum as you move around and, and do stuff. So uh, there's not one or two ingredients that make somebody a successful spacewalker. It's sort of all of this molded together in how the person thinks and operates in a crazy environment. Whenever you first got outside into that, the vacuum of space, was there a different feeling or a sensation or paint that picture? Yeah. So the, my very first time opening the hatch, um, there was a, a piece of trash, like a straw from a drink that was, had floated out of the trash can and it was right by my head. And there's a little bit of residual pressure inside the airlock. And I opened the hatch and that last little gush of, of air puffed out through the now open hatchway and that trash straw just flew past my face, my peripheral vision, and disappeared down into the clouds as I'm looking from 250 miles above the, the earth uh, down to the clouds, and then this trash disappeared into the clouds. And I, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I don't want to be that piece of trash. I, I just don't want to let go. Don't let go. Like, don't let go. And you're telling yourself that you're going to fall because your brain is just so used to seeing high heights like that and, and associating that with falling. And it takes a second to, to, to calm yourself down and realize I'm not going to fall. 
you can let go with your hands and you're going to stay right there. Uh, we, now, we don't ever completely let go. We always have some sort of safety hook connected to the space station because if you did drift away, you might you could be one foot, you might as well be one mile because you can't get back. There's nothing to push against. Um, but yeah, settling into the groove and starting to work, it, it comes with a few minutes of just settling it, getting your calming your nerves. That would be scary for sure. Um, and, and so you're saying whenever you do step out and and you start to work, you do have a, like a line that's attached to your body so that you, you can then use both hands and or, or your feet or however you need to, to operate. And then you grab that line to pull yourself back in whenever you're finished. Exactly. Like if you've ever been rock climbing or seen a rock climber, they have a long rope to kind of traverse up and down and then if you need to take a break there's a little short one foot long like lead where you can clip in and then shake your hands out and rest and put your weight against that rope we effectively have the same thing we have this long dog leash that will retract and reel in and reel out up to 90 feet and then uh one but when we stop and need and we're at the place where we want to work we just take a short little leash and clip in and that way you're always uh not going to go away what? I can I can think of a lot of different things. Did you have something else on the spacewalk? No, I was going to ask what he does for fun in space. Oh, okay. Before we go there, I want to go. I want to stay on the tough stuff, and then we'll go back to the fun stuff. But um, Chris, it just made me think. I mean, you just it. So there's. I remember you telling me that there was another Navy SEAL that had become an astronaut. So you went and actually had a conversation with him, which I thought was really cool of you to do. And go, hey, you know, how did you do it? You went from being a SEAL into being an astronaut. So anyway, we'll have to talk to you about that in a second. But it, it made me think of this. Being a SEAL has to be so difficult, parts of it. And then being an astronaut, you're talking about, two these crazy careers that on their own would be tough for anyone to have to, um, you know, manage their way through. Is there... Can, can you think of something, you know, I don't want you to have to go too far on it, but like what's super hard about being a SEAL, like maybe one of the hardest things about that, and then how did you deal with it? And then the flip side on the being an astronaut, like what was really difficult for you? Were there similarities in that, or it, did it come down to personality style? I mean, just can anything you can share there? Yeah, in, in the SEAL teams, the um, for me, I, I liked the challenge of bringing together uh, a group of personalities of really hard charging, motivated guys. Uh, uh, they, and not every, could you, so if you grab a seal, a seal platoon is like 16 or 18 people. If you grab a random 16 or 18 people from the seal teams and put them into a seal platoon, not all of them are created equal. And it's really by, by boils down to personality and leadership. And I loved the challenge of uh, working with the other leaders in the platoon to to get the platoon to fire. I say fire. That could be that that term could be many different things in the SEAL teams, but to fire together and to be working together in, in a well-oiled machine. Uh, because when you've got, I saw it too many times where tough personalities everyone thought everyone might have a great idea and just platoons that were a train wreck because they never could gel 
And that's sort of a touchy-feely side of the SEAL teams that you might not have expected me to answer because, of course, it's hard to do all the physical stuff. And But we push ourselves and you train and you get ready and you and you're, you can overcome the physical stuff with preparation and exercise and, and being in good shape. Uh, but it's the mental stuff and the teamwork aspect of it that I, uh, I, I really enjoyed. And then at NASA, the hard part was just learning everything. There's so many aspects to a spacecraft any any vehicle that gets you to space or that you live in in space uh, you we have to know every system in it and be experts in in its operation and repairing it and and malfunctions dealing with malfunctions so it just feels like this never-ending volume of things you need to know um, that's probably the hardest part about being an astronaut and it, it takes some experience uh, which I've sort of gleaned at this point in my career to know, you know, we're never going to know all that stuff. We just need to know what is, what can kill us and what things do we have resources for? What things do we not need to memorize because I can call the ground or look it up in a book. Uh, but there's certain things we need to know right away. If this happens, then immediately I have to do X. Uh, yeah. So good question. Hey, going back to the to kind of the touchy feely side of things, I thought it was a really, interesting answer because I think so much of what you see about the SEAL teams uh, is focused on the physical side of things or combat. Um, do you have any tips that you could pass along to people that are putting together their own teams? Maybe they have their own 16 to 18 people and they're trying to get them to gel. What did you learn about the way that humans operate that others might be able to be able to apply in their business or their life? Yeah. I mean, it's not rocket science. It all boils down to leadership and there's probably 50,000 books written a year about the subject, but um, it really fundamentally is so true that a, a unit is uh, gets its, its strength and its weaknesses from the leadership of, of the unit, and uh, what worked for, for me and what I observed in other units that were successful in the SEAL teams were allowing the hard-charging sort of... Um, the SEAL team term is sled dog. You know, that is not a demeaning term, but the, the, the people that are actually getting the job done, that are pulling the weight for the for the unit, for the company, for whatever, that's out on the shop floor, you know, that sort of thing. Allow them to, uh, to push their good ideas and, and, and make sure that those people are empowered with the, the commander's intent, the overall goal, where we're going that way if they have a good idea or if they think their idea is awesome maybe it is if just you're looking from that point of view but if you take in the consideration these three other goals that we're trying to achieve as a, as a group then your idea might be one that we need to shelve for right now so uh, i hear you it's awesome but let's not do that right now and and having creating a culture where where it's okay to voice that those opinions it's and it's also okay to be told no uh, but it's uh, but it's also okay for for the leadership to go. Okay, you're right. We're going to shift gears and change focus as a unit together. And this is where this is what we're doing now. Um, really, it all just boils down to leadership and and listening to the everybody in the unit because they're all value added. All the opinions count. All the opinions matter. Well, it sounds like you know there's there's such a layer of finding the positive in all these situations, and I know that you know, you guys do that now to like you and Jeff, you know, find the positivity in the world. And like we talked about earlier, using your platforms to, 
to really spread positivity. And what do you, what do you guys, maybe what's next on the horizon or anything that you can share on that front or how people get, can get plugged into what, um, what you and Jeff are doing and others? Yeah. Well, um, he's, he's still got his good bed job. I still have my NASA job and, and, but, but the two of us are getting to the point in our lives and our careers where we, we think what's next and what's going to, what do we, how do we want to live the, the latter part of our lives. And we both realize that family, friends and doing cool stuff are all things that matter. And, and so as I, as I transition, I, I probably have one more mission in me. I don't know exactly when my launch date will be. Uh, but within five years or so, my, I think my, uh, my space career will probably be done. And, and, um, and really what we want to do and Jeff is on the same page is, is impact the world in a positive way, treat, find people that are doing awesome stuff and find a way to give back to them. And, uh, and then along the way, do cool adventures as, as brothers living life and, and meet people, uh, that are fun to be around and experience cool things. And, and that's, that sounds very broad and vague, vague, uh, but that's what's next. That sounds like a lot. Of, we, Hey, we actually have one adventure that we have in common, which is the Katy trail riding across the state of Missouri. The Katy trail. That was so cool. I just did that a couple of weeks ago. I loved it. So did you do the entire thing though? You went the entire Katy trail across, across the state? Uh, yes. Ex- well, except there's one section from Clinton to Sedalia that logistically we couldn't get the train station goes to Sedalia and then, um, without, hitching a ride out and then driving back we we just lopped off those 20 miles but the rest of it we did actually though we made up the 20 miles because when we got to the end we had to get to back to our car yeah I, I actually my friend and i we did we actually took a train from jeff city to warrensburg and then we rode about 25 miles down highway 13 which was not advisable uh <laughs> yeah because we we were hugging we were like hugging the mayonnaise the whole way and Finally, like the last six miles opened up and they had a big shoulder, but it was, it was, it was pretty scary there for a little bit, but such a good time. And uh, it's cool that you did it. You came to the great state of Missouri to see it for yourself. Yeah. And one of my favorite thing, just riding was cool, but my favorite thing was at each night getting to some little bitty town with, with uh, one restaurant, one bed and breakfast and maybe a post office and, and staying there and talking to the people and chatting with other riders uh, and just meeting people from all different uh, from locals to, to other people like us who were who were who were um, riding I just really enjoyed the people aspect of it you know Chris for for, for me meeting you uh, knowing who you are Navy SEAL graduate of MIT served your country which by the way thank you for that part obviously uh, Astra and all the really cool stuff you've done the most impressive thing from my perspective, and I bet money that I speak for Kinsley too, is your humility and the way you approach life and uh, the relationship you have with Jeff um, and uh, just what I got to see uh, spending time with you at the Rockets game and your connection to some of those players and just who you are. I think it's really cool. I Sometimes you, you get to meet people that you would put on a pedestal and then they end up being morons, which you are definitely not a moron. So I love it. So grateful for you spending time with us on the podcast. So thank you for that. Thanks for your nice words, Mark. I appreciate it. I'm really happy to 
to be to be here. And by the way, I have uh, one time my condo. I had a condo that was empty in large part of of uh, any furniture. And Jeff and and Mike shipped a bunch of mattresses to my condo for their evaluations. And and I had like. 15 mattresses in my little bitty two-bedroom condo and the two of them were pulling pulling all-nighters as they were doing their mattress evals. It was pretty funny. I love it. Um, One question, then I'll let Kinsley close this out. My question for you is, you've literally been to space and I just want to know, is there another mattress industry podcast in the galaxy as good as this one? No, this is by far... The best one I've ever come across in my whole entire life. It's amazing. See, you there you rock. go, Kinsley. You know, we've been talking about this being the galaxy's greatest mattress, mattress podcast for quite a while. And it was a joke until now because you've actually been in the galaxy in places other people haven't gone. So this is validation. <laughs> hey, Chris, last comment. Would you consider a Dos Marcos tattoo somewhere discreetly on your body so that when you go to space, like we go with Or you. even a sticker on your spacesuit. Oh, I, I managed 27 years in the Navy so far without a tattoo. And no matter how cool you guys are, you're not getting a tattoo on me. Come on, man. It'd be small. So we're talking about the sticker on the spacesuit. I'm good with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, everybody. Chris Cassidy. Uh, gosh, I don't even know what to say, Kinsley. Chris, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. We appreciate what you and your brother do. Um, that's adjacent to our industry. You guys are awesome people. And, uh, Hey, how can people get connected with you in the internet world or social or anything like that? I'm pretty much of a nascent uh, social media guy, but I do have an Instagram called Astro seal Astro underscore seal. Cool. We'll, We'll check it out there. Chris, thank you again for your time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks guys. Catch you later. You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool. Cool as ice. And I'm hot like a heater. Bounce by the ounce. Now we got it by the leader. Well, you take a spring and you wrap it up right. You can sleep so smooth or bounce all night. Put two together, get a whole lot more. Get the feel of the comfort core. You can bounce on it. Lay back, you don't have to practice. It's the best thing to happen to your mattress. Get together to do it like I did. Everybody get high. If you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Nothing short of cheap. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get high 
right? Listen, doesn't matter if your kitchen is charming when your bedroom's the most important part of the apartment. What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam, cause if that bowling ball don't bounce, you'll be sleeping alone. And if the bed don't react, then you can't get low. We got that type of bounce that won't spill your Merlot. So stick with us and you'll get rewarded. Cause I'm so gentle and I'm so supportive. Hybrid is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses. mattresses.